Hi, Pastor John here, thanking you for joining us today where we're going to take a look at Psalm 84 and try to answer a question we all have from time to time. What is happiness? Let's join the service to hear the answer from Scripture. Opportunity. I'd like you to turn to Psalm 84. Let me read this for you. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of of hosts. Okay, you're going to have to have some patience with me this morning. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord of God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. The word of God, brothers and sisters. Amen? I had a friend, and I I, I love these little insights you get from talking to other people. I I try to write them down, but sometimes they just come to mind. But we were talking about things that, you know, we were young, and we were talking about things that young people talk about late into the night. Staying up in the wee hours of the morning, discussing the meaning of life. And at one point, he said, all I want is to be happy. And I was, because I'm very profound in these moments. I said, so what is happiness? And he had to think about that for a minute. I don't remember his exact words, where they're pretty much being rich and having everything he wanted, and on and on and on. And, and, and you know what? At that point in my life, I kind of agreed with him. If I just had enough money, I'd be happy. If I just hung around with the right people, I'd be happy. If I just had this or that, surrounded myself with all these things, then I'd be happy. And I kind of shook my head. But deep down inside, we all know we're never happy with those things, Right? So, what is happiness? Well, I think we can look to Scripture to find out, but we've got to read it carefully in order to know. So, Psalm 84 sets a different tone than the Psalms that are immediately before it. The Psalms that are immediately before 84 are songs of lament. Now, if you don't know what lament means, it's a passionate expression of grief. It's grief that reaches deep down into your heart and comes flowing out of you. So 84 is a psalm, not of lament, but of worship. And it's also known 
as a Zion psalm. Now, these Zion psalms are psalms that were sung while people were pilgrimaging towards Jerusalem to go to uh, the, the temple and celebrate a festival or a feast. And so Psalm 84, because it's a Zion psalm, is designed to portray a journey, a journey of faith. And, and it portrays not just this journey of faith as they go towards the temple, but a journey of, of appreciation of the privileges of having a deep relationship with our Father in heaven. So our sermon title today, in reflection of all that, is Happiness Is, and we've got dot, dot, dot. So maybe we'll have an answer by the end of the psalm. Uh, so in the title, we, we see uh, the choir master, according to the Gittith. Any of you guys have a Gittith, Gittith at home? Do we even know what it is? Not really. <laughs> it's, it's a musical, liturgical term. Um, but this is a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, if you want an interesting afternoon, take a look at the history of the clan Korah. Uh, it goes all the way back to Moses in the tabernacle. But the sons of Korah also have a history of serving in the temple during Solomon's reign. Um, the whole clan was associated in some manner with some type of service in the temple, usually with music and worship, uh, the tabernacle and the temple. So they've been around for quite some time. And we understand this about the temple. Now, the temple was given to God's children, not just as a dwelling place for him. And we, we know that they were building a house for God. We, we got that, okay. But it's a gathering place. The temple was a gathering place of worship and praise. It's a designated location for God's people to come together and to learn, to worship, to encourage each other, to nourish each other, to speak to each other in psalms and hymns and scripture, and turn their attention towards him. Now, that sounds a little bit like what we know as church today. I think it's intentional. So while the temple was thought to be God's dwelling place back then, we all know that now his spirit dwells inside those who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, those who have repented from their sin and turned towards Christ and his righteousness. His spirit now dwells in each one of us. And still, we are in, in spite of that, we are still encouraged to gather together in an assembly like this, just as the Hebrews gathered in the temple. So it's a good thing that, because of all that, it's a good thing that long after the, the temple was raised in 70 AD, pushed off the, the temple mount, that the Psalms remained part of Jewish life, but they also remained a very integral part of the new church's life, which now gathered in houses and synagogues and eventually in dedicated buildings. Now, I have a lot of people tell me, oh, the original church didn't meet in a church building. There weren't any. You know, they, yeah, they were meeting in houses, but they were meeting in synagogues as well. Just take a walk with Paul through, through Acts. Every time he'd go into a town, he'd preach in a synagogue. So there was always a designated place for the church to gather. And eventually it became church building. So, so we now read the Psalms in a, as a way of of praying as a way of worship and a way to ask ourselves what it means to have a walk 
with God. So Psalm 84 can help us in all of those areas, and it it can be divided up into four characteristics of the church. Here they are. We'll see the joy of the church in verses 1 and 2. We will see the strength of the church in verses 3 through 7. We will see the prayer of the church in verse 8 and 9, and in verses 10 through 12, we'll see the blessing of the church. So let's take a look at the joy of the church. Verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. It's a great opening line, isn't it? It, it, He he just gets right to it. And at first glance, it would seem that the the psalmist is saying, gee, that's a great-looking building, isn't it? But there's really a lot more to it. It goes a lot deeper. I like the King James Version in this verse because it says, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. Gets a little closer to what the psalmist is trying to say. He's trying to say that the temple is not only beautiful, but it is beloved. It's a desirable place to be. The author has this visceral response to the house of God when he thinks about it. And to paraphrase it, it says, I love to be there. I love it when I'm there. And here's why he loves loves it when he's there. Because he is with the God of hosts. He loves being with the guard of the armies of heaven, of the heavenly hosts, the angels and everybody, the king of heaven. God dwells there in the temple with his people, and when he's there, with the psalmist. You see the exclamation point there after Lord of hosts? The author, he's overwhelmed. He's filled with joy. He's filled with thanks that his God, watch this, is accessible and in close proximity that he has access to God. Where does he find this God? He finds him in his house, in a place of corporate worship. And this does something deep down inside of our author. It moves him deeply. In verse 2, he says, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. He feels incredible joy. Look at, look at the words he uses. It's very carefully chosen here. Joy in his soul, in his heart, in his flesh. The joy permeates every fiber of his being. It touches him deeply, reaches deep into his spirit, and comes pouring out of him in praise. Just because he's going to the house of the Lord. Now, we don't have the temple today. We have a church. And I know, and I agree, the church is not the building. Amen? Church is the people in the building. I don't know that that saying serves us very well in a day like today. Because we can say to ourselves... Well, the church isn't the building. I don't have to be there. I mean, we can have church anywhere, can't we? Wherever two or more are gathered. I think we need to take a look, closer look at that verse and see what they're talking about. They're not talking about whether or not we can have a Bible study. They're talking about church discipline. You know what chapter that's in? Matthew 18. So we know that the church isn't the building. But we also know that the temple was not the Jewish people. The temple was a place, right? 
We don't have to be a Jew to be at the temple. No, but you should go there every now and then. It was written into their law. Still, there's, there's something special. There was something very special about the temple. And if you walk in here on Sunday morning, you know that there's something special about this place. There's something special about where God's people gather. It's not just this building. It's Warrington Baptist. It's First Baptist of, of Warrington. It's Keith McCullough's church. I, I, it's wherever we gather. There's something special. You can feel it when you walk in. A special, a special type of reverence. A sanctuary. A safe place. A place that becomes even more special when we gather together. If you walk in here, into this building, during the week, when you walk in, you feel like you're in a special place. You're in a special place that you've made a commitment to. You're in a special place that you've come for teaching, for ministry, for counsel. I feel it when I walk in, and I've been walking into this church for 24 years. Never fails to touch me that I'm in the sanctuary. And, and you know what it feels like. Our voices go down a, a point or two and we start paying attention and, and we're all having great fellowship and everything. But the moment the mic comes on, we all straighten up and sit down, start paying attention. Tell me if that happens in your house. It's a special place. And when we get together, that should bring us joy. Joy that reaches deep down into us and moves us like it did our author. Now, listen carefully. The church doesn't magnify God's presence. The church doesn't limit God's presence. It's not limited to to moving in, in our hearts right here. Amen? But it does. The church does make us acutely, sweetly aware of his presence. And we find peace there. And joy and happiness. You can't have that at home, folks. I mean, at home, you, you know, I, I've spent as many church services home, in home as you have. You know, in the middle of it, I think I'll get a cup of coffee. You know, while I'm in the kitchen, I'll make a Pop-Tart. It's special. Place reserved for worshiping God. So, what I'm trying to tell you is the presence of God is the joy of the church. We experience His presence in a very special way when we gather here. Let's talk about the strength of the church. Verse 3 Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. My king and my God. So this is a reference to Solomon's temple. Had these huge walls, big buildings. Thing was surrounded by porches. They called them porticos, walkways, all along its perimeter. And birds would come and build their nests in those structures all along the upper walls and in the porches. And of course, the birds in the morning would sing. They would sing. 
And so even, even the birds of the air seem to realize that, that this is someplace special, a place where they're safe, a place where they can find rest. It's a place of blessing. So they sing. They sing a song of praise to our Father for his presence there. And verse 4 says, And blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. So he's talking about the birds. He's talking about the birds. Some of you in common literary Jewish device here uh, that describes something lesser to make us think about something greater. He's telling us, uh, his readers, that the birds make their home in the house of God and sing praises to him. So you, as one of his children, should be doing at least that much. We can think the birds have a rough time with that. He's saying you should make his dwelling place, yours, feeling it deep in your heart, experiencing its joy in your entire building and enjoying the presence of God and your brothers and sisters in the faith. There's another benefit here. Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. So these three verses describe the journey that this guy's on. He's walking towards Jerusalem. And that journey would be familiar to a lot of the Jews who frequent the temple. And one of the primary ways, one of the primary highways of Zion... Or, uh, to, uh, the roads to Jerusalem and the temple go through the valley of Baca. They would know what he was talking about. Now, we don't know exactly where the valley is. A lot of people think that, biblical scholars think it's the valley of Rephaim. Uh, but that valley is filled with balsam trees and trees that secrete a lot of sap. And as you walk through the valley, the sap drips down the trunks of the trees and it looks like tears. And it's a rough valley filled with rocks. There's a lot of water in the ground, and the rocks are always seeping water. It's a difficult walk. And the valley, that place came to signify a place of grief and weeping. So the author wants to encourage a journey toward the house of God, one that goes through whatever hardship is necessary to be there. Whatever pain and grief that life brings us, and the promise is that it will eventually emerge into something refreshing. Rain. Pools of fresh water. He's saying it might be a rough walk, but when you get there, it's going to be worth the journey. Now we can liken this to our walk of faith as well. Okay. So what is the prayer of the church? Verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Exclamation points all over the place. Now, the, the psalmist's journey is complete. He's there. He's at the temple. He cries out to the God of hosts, the God of heavenly harmonies, recognizes him as the God of Jacob, the God of a sojourning people. Remember the story of Jacob. They're all over the place, right? They're down in Egypt, back up in Canaan. And he talks about the destination of their journey. 
In verse 9, he says, Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. That's kind of curious, isn't it? How does that fit in here? The shield he's talking about is quite probably whoever oversees the temple. You know, at first that would be David, and then Solomon. Eventually became the high priest. Their jobs were not to lord over the people, but to protect the people, maintain the integrity of the house of worship, to ensure that the word of God flowed within the house of worship and out from the house of worship. And they did this not by the power of their strength, but by the power of the Spirit of God. They were designated, they were anointed to do it. They were appointed to minister, listen carefully, they were appointed to minister the presence of God. They were not the presence of God, but they were to point the people towards him. The psalmist is praying, praising God for his presence, not asking any, uh, anything else of him. There, there's no list of things they would like God to do. They're just praising him for who he is and asking to make his presence known, felt, and that's the prayer of the church today. It should be the prayer of the church today. The prayer of the church is for the presence of God. So let's look at the blessing of the church. Verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Look at this. Not that he's there. Remember, he's, got, he's gone there for a festival or for a feast. Psalmist realizes that the journey was not only worth everything he had to go through to get there, but this is where he knows he should be. It's where he belongs. It's where he feels at home. It's the best place. Being in close proximity to God's presence is better than being anywhere else. See, the sojourner's daily routine was not being at the temple every day. He had a job. He had a family. He had to do those things. He had to pay his bills. So he went to the temple every day. The daily routine doesn't include the house of God every day. But when he gets there, it's so overwhelming that he wants to stay. He may not be able to stay permanently, but his heart longs for the assembly. It longs for the teaching. It longs for the praise. Longs for the presence of God and fellowship with his people. As a matter of fact, he says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now, officially, the doorkeepers were the Levites. Our psalmist is not saying, I'd like to be a Levite someday. He's not looking to occupy an office. He's trying to tell us about being near the inn or near the temple during the festivals. So Jerusalem would fill up with sometimes a million, million and a half people during the festivals. There were long lines at the temple. There were long lines to get in. There were even longer lines to get in and present your sacrifice to, to the chief priest. And so the, the psalmist would rather be there waiting in line for who knows how long would rather be there than living among evil people. He knows his place is there with God and with his people and not out in the world, that his true heavenly home is with God and with God's congregation. 
verse 11, he says, for the Lord is a son. This is why he'd rather do this. The Lord is a son and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Hmm. The trip was long and hard. Some of it was painful. But the author was steadfast. He kept on moving towards the temple, kept trusting that God would help him get there. He was depending on God being the sun, being the light in the dark moments in his life. He was depending on God being his shield, being his protection in danger. He knows that God is gracious. He knows that he bestows favor on his own. And the psalmist knows that God is the giver of all good things. We know that, don't we? I mean, we we know it here. But sometimes it's a little hard to get it down here, isn't it? I mean, this trip was long and hard. I I wonder if he felt like God was giving him good things when he slipped and, and banged his knee on a rock. I wonder if he felt like God was giving him good things when he got notice that somebody close to him had gone to be with the Lord. You see, we have to acknowledge that God is a giver of good things in everything. There's no, there's no optional, oh, that wasn't from God. And maybe it didn't come from God. God's promise is that he'll use every hurt, every pain, every betrayal, every sickness, every parting for our good and for his glory. This is what the writer is trying to tell us. He's a giver of good things. Verse 12, he says, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Isn't that what we were just talking about? Psalmist ends with praise. He acknowledges that his faith in God, his perseverance in moving towards him, garners God's blessing. The blessing of the church is God's presence. So we've seen these characteristics. We've seen the joy of the church. There should be eagerness. There should be uh, an anticipation to being in a house of God. When the longing is there, it brings a very unique, a very special kind of joy. We've seen the strength of the church, the constant movement towards the assembly, the anticipation of corporate worship and praise, the longing for that. The longing for that brings strength. And the more frequently it happens, the stronger a child of God becomes. It's what the scriptures are telling us. It's very similar to exercise. How many of you exercise? Now, more of you all need to start raising your hand on these things, all right? (laughs) But you know what it's like. Oh, I haven't exercised in three years. I'm going to go to the gym. You go to the gym, you're sore the next day. You know, well, I'm just going to take a few days off. But you go back, and you're still sore the next day, but you're a little stronger than you were the day before. And you go back again, and again, and again. And the more often you go back, the stronger you become. Here it is spiritually. 
The more frequently you gather together with God's people, the stronger you become. Why? Because we encourage each other. We nourish each other. We sit under teaching sometimes. We critique the teaching. That's important. It's the fact that we're together and moving towards God. Now, I, I understand he's in us. I get it. I get it. But you all know that even though he's in us, sometimes we don't feel very close to him. So we have to discipline ourselves to do those things that bring us closer to him. That's the journey. And as we do this together, our strength begins to multiply. So we saw the prayer of the church is to praise God for who he is, to give him thanks, and to do it as a corporate body to do it together, not just to pray for his presence, but to enjoy him and enjoy his people. I know even as I say that, some of you are thinking, well, there's a few that I don't enjoy very much. (laughs) Those things we need to put aside too. Brothers and sisters, we're going to spend eternity together. We're going to learn how to love each other. Amen? We saw the blessing of the church to be together and to be closer to God. So what is happiness? How does that answer our question? I mean, it's been all throughout the, the psalm. Happiness, true joy. You know, I've told you this before. I don't really like the word happiness. Our happiness is dependent upon our circumstances. Amen? I mean, when our cir- circumstances are good, we're happy. When they're not good, we're not happy. What we're talking about here is joy. Joy is an abiding peace in our heart that allows us to be thankful for everything that happens to us, even though we don't understand all of it. Joy is the trust that our Father is going to deliver us where he promised to deliver us. So what is this? It is the presence of God, brothers and sisters. Happiness, joy is the presence of God. So Psalm 84 is about a journey toward God, about the joy, the strength, the prayer, and the blessing. All that comes with diligence towards completing the journey. And in this time, this psalmist had to travel to experience that presence. We don't have to do that today. Jesus' arrival totally upended the meaning of this psalm. And we all understand that. At least hopefully we do. We don't have to sojourn. Christ is in us. He's not in some far off temple. Not in some building over there. Still, there's a lot to be learned from this psalm. God's people are meant to be together physically. We're going to be together physically, spiritually for eternity. We are powerful. We are strong when we're together. And you know what else? We're blessed when we're together. And all those things can be had individually. All those things can be had privately. I get it. And they should be. You should have the same type of joy at home, in your own sanctuary. But the greatest measure of that comes when we assemble. Now, the highway to the temple has become the way. Jesus calls it the only way. 
It's in and through Jesus Christ. He died so that we can experience that joy privately and experience it in a greater magnitude corporately. We should not neglect it. Doesn't that what Scripture tells us? Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Listen carefully to me. Virtual church is a good thing. It's a good thing. There are people that cannot make it here for a lot of good reasons. But it doesn't substitute for what we have in this room right now. And we pray that God blesses those people that are watching us. We pray a blessing upon you even as you watch us. But we will hand out the bread. We'll take it together. Then we'll hand out the juice and we'll take that together. as we stand close together and we hold this little morsel of bread in our hands we're familiar with Jesus holding up saying this is my body we know that this is a moment not just of thanks but of unity but I want you to think about the body because later on we find out that we're his body All of us who call upon him as Lord and Savior are his body. Now that should make this little piece of bread look a little bit different to you. I want you to look around and look at yourselves. Look at each other for just a second. I know this is not easy. I'm not going to ask you to hold hands. (laughs) But you can. (laughs) So as, as we take this symbol of his body and recognize our unity with Christ, we're taking a little bit of each other at the same time. It's a supernatural expression of unity. Christ died so that we could stand here and say, yes, we are one with you and one with each other. Take and eat. Go away. Deacons. Thank you. Hebrews said, Did you think the blood of goats and bulls would do that? No had to be from a perfect sacrifice. So before, before we drink this, once again, think about what you're doing. Because Jesus shed that blood so that we could be together. So that we could be his messengers, his representatives. So that we could gather like this and show the world what true love looks like. He said, take and drink. Father, I pray a blessing on this gathering. Father, I pray a blessing on 
all those who are listening at home, Father, that your spirit would move among us, Father. Draw us unto you. Conform us to your image, Father. Make us into your likeness, Father. Equip us and enable us to be your messengers, messengers of grace and mercy and love, Lord, that the world might long to be in the sanctuary even as we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in. Next week, we will be in Psalm 91.
Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Would you click on the like button below that little thumbs up? If you're listening on Sermon Audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at WBFVA. We're on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at wbfva.org. Just click on giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.